Paul says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, for put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. All right, finally. We've arrived at what uh, is uh, most likely the most well-known group of scriptures throughout this book. Uh, in all my years of being a follower of Christ, this is probably one of the most taught passages, uh, at least that I know of. Everyone loves to talk about the armor of God. I mean, there's something comforting to this whole thing, to having the armor that can like shield us from spiritual things. Uh, I've been with many of people who in prayer, that literally do their, their prayer, they make it a habit to recite uh, the different pieces of and they put it on spiritually in their prayer so in the morning so they can kind of feel protected throughout the day. Uh, and whatever, whatever it is, there's somehow this colorful connection between us and the armor of God that seems to just resonate within us. So let's just dump, we're going to jump right in, we're going to dig a little uh, and discuss some of this. Paul's first few final words as if he knows what's, uh, that he's going to lead us into something kind of heavy. He says, be strong in the Lord. Reminds me of Joshua. You know, I, everybody's like, yeah, they always quote Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be strong. And, like he, by the way, he says it six times. Be strong and courageous to Joshua in the first chapter. At what point does anybody ask, what, why? You ever notice that? Joshua never asked why. I don't know about you, but if I kept coming to you up throughout the day, dude, you better get yourself together. You better get strong right now. You know, hour later, I don't know what you're doing, but you better figure out a way to like increase your strength and get, you better get strong. You better find some, and I came an hour later, you better find some courage. After a point, you're going to be like, why? Should I be looking over my back? Is something coming? Is something happening to me? So this reminds me a lot of that. Be strong in the Lord. Why? What's, what's about to happen? Am I, am I the only one? I like, I ask questions. I, 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 no, I got to know. I don't want to be surprised. I don't like surprise attacks. I don't want to be attacked via surprise. I want to know. But he says this like it's some kind of forecast of sorts, as if to say it's going to get tough, the road is going to be hard, it's going to be dire, you better get tough, you better get strong, you better get this in Christ thing. And by the way, the whole first four chapters of this whole book is about being in Christ and united in Christ. I hope you got it, because it's time, it's time to be tough, it's time to be strong, and maybe... Maybe he's referring to persecutions or, or just the hardships and doubts that life produces. But either way, it's the wake-up call of reveille. You better hear the trumpet. You better know what's coming. You better know when we step into this, it's about to get tough. And now the preparation begins, and it's not easy, nor is it second nature. 
I'm reminded Pastor Robert a few months ago sent me this quote from a Navy SEAL. I was so privileged. He said he thought of me doing this thing in this quote twice. He said, concerning warriors of battle, it read, out of every 100 men, it's a quote from a Navy SEAL, of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't be in combat. 80 are just targets. <laughs> Nine are real fighters. But one, one is a warrior. Now, I say that not to discredit anyone in here. I say that because it's not necessarily natural for most people to step into this role or, or the idea of that every day you're going to have to have to battle in such a way that you need armor. Most people don't like that thought. They don't think about life like that. All right. So uh, th this idea that every day we're going to need to wear something, every day that it's going to be so tough and so hard against our life that we need to be wearing something, we don't think like that. But I'm not, I'm not really sure as I approach uh, Ephesians and as I approach the gospel that we're really given an option. The implication of these scriptures is that you will need these things to stand up against whatever spiritual adversity approaches your life. It leaves no room for choice. You see, it's not a matter of will you face spiritual adversity. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of will you. It's a matter of when. Something else happens here that I think there's been much confusion, though I have heard it taught. <coughs> The armor is not so much for fighting as it is for standing. Three times the word is used in the scriptures. Three times Paul says about standing. So it's almost like it's, just, it's more for surviving. Like I've given you this, not you can just like aggressively move forward as much as you can just sit still and just take on the battle as it stands. It's a different type of idea. It's used also to describe the functionality of the armor. So we have to think about that every time we think about what it's there for. Even though we're getting a sword, it would seem that the main function of all of this is to survive somehow uh, this, this, this spiritual war. And initially, Paul sums it up to, to stand against what? All strategies of the devil. So not just some, all, and I'm sure there are many. And this is just the very nature. And the rest of what Paul has to say is, de is like this detailed layout as what's needed in, uh, is, as a, this ability to stand firm. The nature of who we are fighting is different here. Paul makes it clear that we're not fighting each other. I I'm going to say that again. We're not fighting each other. Feels like it at times. And I think when the devil's really smart, he's able to get us fighting each other. We end up wasting our time more there. But we're fighting against an adversary who's unseen who's evil, wicked, has authority and dominion in celestial places. And we're definitely talking about spiritual warfare here. It's not earthly warfare. There's no mistaking the scriptures or Paul's intentions here about what this is for. From here, Paul begins breaking things down basically into five sections. And we're going to go through them. And he's using most likely, if, if, as many of you probably heard, a Roman soldier because he'd seen a lot of them at that point. Doesn't matter where he's headed, he's pretty much seen Romans at that point basically conquered the known world. That would have been the ideal soldier to look to as to what they had and what they didn't have on them. And he begins to create analogies. That's what these are. They're analogies. He begins with this belt and body armor. Right? So stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now listen, I've got to be honest as I approach this, I told Joy, like it's always hard for me to listen to People talk about the armor of God a little bit. I've, I've heard a lot of teaching on this, mostly from people who've never had to really fight a day in their lives. Can I tell you, like, I've literally talked with pastors, and as we were talking about the armor of God or anything, I was like, you ever been punched in the face? And literally, like, they would go, no. Then how can you teach me about fighting? How can you teach me about stand? Like, would you go to a coach who's never played football and learn how to play football? 
Would you, I mean, like, it just experience in some, in some areas, in some matters, it, it makes the difference. So it's always been hard for me to listen to somebody talk or hear about things that are blood, you know, about blood on battle by people who've really never seen it. And I, and I don't say that to discredit it because some people are very intelligent about what they've learned and, and, and things like that, even without experience. I mean, to look at a soldier and examine his clothing and tell stories about something for which you've never experienced is one thing, but to be a soldier and hear why you wear what you wear is another. Is another. I'm going to tell you, nobody will teach you how to be a soldier like a soldier. Paul can tell Timothy, be a soldier. And, and he does it by observation completely. By observation. There's a lot of things we carry in same contrast with soldiers. We, 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 we do a lot of things like them. But until you've been a soldier, you won't completely know what that is. So as I approach this, that's the only thing I can bring to you that's going to be different maybe than what you've heard before. As a soldier, as somebody who's fought, as somebody who's wore body armor, as somebody who's uh, uh, maybe not the sword but a gun, the, uh, these things where I under, like when I look at these analogies, they're going to be different if you've never understood that kind of ground. So when I came across the belt of truth and the body armor, well, it holds everything together. That's true. Can I tell you what? Uh, body armor and belts still exist. That's good news, right? It's holding our pants up. The implication is that we place this belt on us, this body armor is attached as well. It's fairly likely that Paul did, you know, again, he's looking at the Roman soldier. Now, I, I don't know any soldier that doesn't wear sort of belt or body armor. Like even in like the nice uniforms, we polish the brass, we wear a belt. But even in combat, we have belts that hold everything. All right? Both are still needed today for battle. And the belt isn't much for the way of protection, but sometimes the simplest of things, even the things that are just meant to hold the rest together, are important. Right? I've heard them teach that you need the belt because it holds the sword. That's nonsense. By the way, no soldier goes into battle, uh, even if you look at a Roman soldier, with his sword in his sheath. The only thing that better be holding the sword is your hand. If that sword is in your sheath, you're already going to lose right there. Any spiritual battle you face. <laughs> All right? It, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I always have the picture of the old, uh, uh, the, one of the mighty warriors of David, it said he held the sword for so long in battle that it cramped his hand and he couldn't let it go. Better get a picture of that one. Right? This is, this is interesting to me, Right? Yes, this thing holds it all together, but it, it's more than just that, right? It, this thing, we know it to be kind of an analogy, right? It's really more of a call to stay close with God, to stay, as he'd been telling him the first four chapters, to be united with him and confident in him. Our righteousness is imputed in us through Christ and the atonement of the cross. This is one of those moments that tells us we're to be rooted in the work of the cross of Christ above all things. So that when the whispers of the devil and other forms of wickedness try to discourage us, we can resist and stand firm. We let it bounce off of us like the blow of a sword against the shield, against the armor. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. The belt's held tight by the righteousness of God. I'm going to make it. Why? Because the righteousness of God is holding me together. Right? It might leave a mark, but it won't kill me. I love the preacher who said that scars are a proof that we've been healed. Oh, I might be scarred, but I'm going to live. And that's important. Next are the, the shoes. This is put on the piece that, that uh, comes from the good news so that you will be fully 
prepared. Notice that by putting on these shoes, the implication is that you will walk in the peace of God. And more specifically, the good news. Which is to say the gospel. The gospel should be producing something within you that allows you to walk in such a way that it conveys peace wherever you go. That's how you should walk. You should walk at peace and at ease as one who knows they have won the fight. Confident. Maybe comfort. Right? Why? Because you're comforted by the promises of salvation, right? You're walking in the good news, the gospel of Jesus, right? John 6, 37, and this is the will of God that, you, that I should not lose even one, even one of those that God has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. When I walk in peace, I walk in confidence. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Maybe this is why Paul's conclusion is his walking in peace even to the Romans when he says we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I can walk in the peace of God because I know the promises of God that are, that are given to me through the cross of Christ, right? I'm walking in righteousness. I'm walking in peace. I'm held together by righteousness and walking in peace, right? And I think one of the things I love about the shoes, about walking in this good news, walking in this, this concept of the gospel, walking in it, is that what he's trying to think, say more than anything, I'm walking in blessed assurance. Some of you remember that old song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. Listen, he says, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song praising the Savior all the day long. In the last couple of phrases, it says, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercies, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness and lost in His love. Blessed assurance. That's what I'm walking in, Right? That's, that's what I get to walk in. Blessed assurance. I trust in the one who has saved me. Right? It's an old feeling. One that has held us throughout the ages. There is safety and security in the hands of Christ. With these shoes, I am sure-footed. Amen? In the hands of Christ. Who steadfast held on the cross and carried out God's will for me. And when I walk in the light of this information... I experience transformation. I can be at peace with anything because I know that I know my eternity is secure. So I walk differently than the rest. As one who knows we're about to win. As one who knows, you can, do not mistake my arrogance for peace. Do not mistake my confidence for peace. I know the end of this story. Do not mistake it. I am humble because you know what else I know? I'm not the fighter. And we're going to get to that, what the sword really is. I know that we're not winning by my own hand. It's not me causing the victory here. It's Christ and Christ alone. And I'm going to get to that here in a minute because I think Paul reveals it. But that's the security I have to walk in the peace of God is to know that I know I am eternally saved. Paul presses on to the shield. He says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, I'm reminded of, 
uh, uh, obviously a fight scene out of the movie 300, or truthfully where they get this from is actually, it's, it's an anonymous quote really of a Spartan soldier who had, if you knew the Spartans, they had these giant, they were known for spear and sword for sure, but they were also known for these giant shields, these huge shields that they had. And uh, it, it is an, an anonymous thing that's kind of been written throughout the ages. They incorporated it into the movie, but it was said at one time through these Persian soldiers who had met a Spartan warrior. It says that they would, they will launch so many arrows, it would black out the sky. And the Spartan looked at him and said, well, then I guess we'll fight in the shade. Awesome quote, by the way. But when I picture this shield of faith that is stopping fiery arrows, I picture these guys with these huge shields that as they come, they're able to stop everything from happening. Right? Can you picture any of that? I mean, from insults to quiet whispers to subconscious dreams, I'm going to tell you right now, the devil knows no boundaries. He will bite at you, throw arrows at you, snarl insults at you, do whatever it takes to stop you from moving forward. By the way, if you aren't really struggling or experiencing any spiritual struggle, then you might want to ask if you're advancing at all. After all, the devil really only needs to trip up the ones who are moving forward. So if you aren't like, well, my life seems pretty good, I question whether you're doing anything for the Lord. Jesus warned us that the devil is an opportunist. Like a lion hoping to pounce on something that walks by, he sits and he watches for the right time to devour. And here's the thing. The shield does not leave our hand. Like the Spartan, the shield is not only for us, but it's also for my brother and sister. That's, that was applause, right? Y'all take some notes there. You're like, yes, Pastor Jim. The shield doesn't leave. Like the Spartan, the shield is not only for us, but it's also for my brother and sister as well in battle. When we come together and lock shields, as the Spartans would say, there's nothing that can stand against us. Nothing. See, I'm not just blocking the fire arrows out just for me. Oh, others find comfort in my shield as well. That's, that's part of the brotherhood for us, guys. Next is the helmet. <clears throat> it says, put on salvation as your helmet. Now, this is a different concept, right? Salvation as a helmet? It's as if Paul is saying, remember this new creation that Christ created? This born-again body has no place returning to where it came from. Remember this. Keep your mind on Jesus and what he's done for you and through your life. Remember the work God has done in here. The Apostle John understood the power of salvation when he wrote about it. In the power, he wrote about the power of the gospel in the believer in the book of Revelations. Many of you know this scripture. John said that they have defeated him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. He's talking about us there. They ended up defeating the spiritual adversary by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as they were not afraid to die. Sounds like a soldier to me. What a powerful statement. John's implying that this helmet of salvation keeps in tune with the core idea of the gospel. It allows us to feed our enemy by remembering the atoning work of the blood of Christ in our life and at the same time its power and ability to, to change us. 
These two things so in tune us to Christ that we become so radically sold out that we would rather die than ever turn back or recant our belief. So when I put this thing on, not only am I like, oh, I'm, well, I'm protected. Listen here, it's more than that. I've changed my thinking. By, by the way, in the Marine Corps, we call it the war cry, and they literally, the drill instructors will sit next to you, look you in your face. There is, a, there is the soldier that puts on the uniform in front of you, walks amongst you in, as civilians and says, this is the way I look just for you. This is my peacetime look. And then there's the look when I put on battle fatigues and I put paint on my face and I become the different person altogether. Two different people. Why? Because once I put this helmet on, I'm a different person. Once I put this helmet of salvation on, I'm going to remember what God has done for me in such a way that I will absolutely live completely sold out 100% for him. Give my life to this cause now. Why? Because his life was given. His life. The helmet represents a stubbornness to be moved away from wishful wish-wash theology and clinging on to what matters most, which is Jesus. I'm going to protect my ears from things they don't need to participate with. I'm going to protect my head with things that do not need to be next to it. So nothing can come at me. So even if you do make it past the shield, it's my secondary set of armor. By the way, nothing should get past the shield. They shouldn't be leaving marks on your body armor. Just in case the shield falls or you get caught off guard. Lastly, the sword. He says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, one hand on the shield and one hand on the sword. Now, that's a picture of a warrior. Now we're getting to it. Finally, the weapon. I'm not going to lie. That's the part that excites me. It's not that I, man, I totally would want the armor because it doesn't do me any good to have the sword without the armor. You just feel better about fighting. I mean, there's a lot of guys can fight without any of that stuff. They're going to fight with just a sword, but I think you'd feel better if you had all the armor with you. Everything else, though, has been a defensive weapon, really, or a defensive piece of garment up until now. Now this is a completely, it is both defensive and offensive. The sword... Um, it never, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing. Uh, there's never been a question about how a sword is viewed. Mm, straight, it's pretty simple, right? It's a giant knife, right? It cuts and it cuts deep. The author of Hebrews described it in Hebrews 4.12. He said this, he said, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than, any, than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and and morrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This thing is the sharpest thing you've ever seen. It's, it's more than just cutting skin. It cuts straight to the heart without touching any bone. It cuts straight to the little pieces of your brain, that, of your brain where you think that nobody else sees and nobody else hears. The word of God is powerful. It's pointed. It cuts all the cunning talk. It cuts through all the lies, the deceptions, the evil, seducing trash talk that is out there. It has within it the ability to bring light where light is absent. The sword is more than an object. Isn't it? It's, worth, it's more than an object. It's living. It's living. This is a different piece. You know, the rest of the armor, yeah, it's like, the, it's like you're clothing yourself in the gospel. 
Really, the whole armor is like clothing myself in the gospel. But when we talk about the sword, the sword is something completely different. I'm going to wield the word of God now as a, as a defensive and offensive weapon. It's living. It's more than just, oh, I can cut and say a quick word. It's more than that. It has the ability to change things and carve out and do surgery. It's the sword that's long when I need to really get after the enemy, but it also becomes the scalpel when I, read the, when I need to do self-surgery. It lives. It changes. It evolves. It moves. Powerful. Powerful. Maybe the Apostle John shed light on it early in his gospel when he said, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And have you ever heard the sword talked about like that? Isn't it the same though? <laughs> Isn't it the same? The power to cut through, the power to bring light, the power to protect, the power to cut between soul and spirit, which is to say the power of discernment, by the way. This implies that we wield Christ as protector and as one who helps us discern that which is evil and that which is good. And as we stand in him in our armor, we protect ourselves with him. Are you, do you hear that? As we stand in him in salvation, rooted in the gospel, as we stand in him in the armor, we are protecting ourselves with him. And in this way, the armor becomes another form of being completely united in Christ. Which is what he spent four chapters trying to teach them. I mean, there for a while, even when I was teaching, I thought, man, it's going to get mundane. I mean, how do I keep preaching on the united in Christ theme? When he's, I mean, at one point he says it like six times in one chapter. United with Christ. You're united. This way we're united with Christ. You're and I'm going to teach you this armor. And if you look at the armor, come on, man. It's all an analogy for what? To be united in Christ. If we're united in Christ, then we won't have to worry about the battle. We'll walk in a way that we walk confident of the battle. If we're united in Christ, well, that confidence will go forth before us. We'll be able to discern the spirits, whether good or bad. And we'll be able to speak to those things, by the way, which is the sword. And protect ourselves and move on the offensive so that when someone calls that, we can step into apologetics immediately, just like Peter did and John did when they were approached in the book of Acts. And they'll be able to say, even amongst those who had knowledge, more scripture knowledge than they did, but yet they were able to speak in such a way that it brought wisdom to the conversation. Why? Because they had the armor and they had the sword. Because it was, it was really about being united in Jesus. And then Paul does something here and he goes, this is what this is for. At least this is to me, this is like the summary of the back end here. The rest is this training and preparation. Why do you need armor? Why do you need the sword? I mean, first of all, if all you're going to do is come to church, you don't need these things. I mean, if you're never going to affect anybody else, if you're never going to tell somebody about God, and you're never going to tell somebody about Jesus, and you're never going to be a person who is a multiplier, and what I mean by that is a person who is a seed that's planted that grows into a tree that has fruit, if your tree's not bearing fruit, you should question, man, why would the devil mess with you? Why would the devil mess with you? There's no need to come burn you down. You ain't producing nothing. You just shade for somebody else. I mean, you don't need any of this. Unless, and this is where Paul says, okay, and he kind of like concludes with this. He's, this is basically what the armor's for. He says, pray in the spirit at all times. And on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And I love this. And pray for me, too. Just having the armor and sword doesn't make you a warrior. 
I don't care how many times I've heard somebody pray it. Training creates the warrior. I'm going to tell you that right now. When I went to the Marine Corps, yeah, I knew how to fight. I thought I knew how to do a lot of things. They taught me different. What a, what a most humbling experience it was to come from Podunk, Texas, thinking I was the baddest dude around town. I wasn't the baddest dude around town, but I was, uh, had a name of being that kind of guy to go into a place where there's a whole lot of dudes with that kind of reputation. And all of a sudden, you're the small guy on the totem pole. And you got to prove yourself. And then the, the, what they define as a warrior ain't nothing like you ever heard of in your life. And they break you down and show you how much you're not that for three or four months. And I'm going to tell you, I, I said it before, like the day that they called me a Marine, that goes down as t in, in my book. I mean, even when I talk about it, it makes me want to cry because I was so broken down, so, so tremendously humbled that when I all of a sudden earned that title, Man, it was as if I, I mean, the only thing come close to is being married or having kids. That's the only thing to come close to the euphoric feeling of finally, like, like not, not necessarily having arrived because when I got to the fleet and met a lot of other Marines that were out there, I found out, you know what? There's even some better ones than that out there. Like, if I'm going to have, the, and the only way to do that is to buy not just training, but having experience in the battle. Taking the training and literally using it, putting it into practice. Well, I can train and be called it and look in front of everybody else that's never done the training as something great, but it's more than that. If I don't go to battle, it's all the training's worthless. I mean, remember what we said before about uh, uh, reading the book where the Navy SEAL talked about the gap between Vietnam and the Iraq and, and Afghanistan wars? That they had gotten to a place where we hadn't seen combat in so long, they were teaching it by theory. So that when they finally went to Iraq and Afghanistan, it was like, uh, we got to rethink how we're teaching our soldiers because none of this stuff works. Oh, we can talk about prayer. We can get up here and preach about prayer. But if we don't live the life of prayer, what do you know about prayer? You know, I, I, I listened to Ian Bounds, and Ian Bounds is considered a foremost expert. And he was years and years and years ago, you know, over 100 years ago since he's passed. And, and one of the things, you know, when you read his books, you think this guy must have been just like this spiritually giant right? But the truth of the matter, he was like less than 100 pounds because he was fasting and praying so much. So you want to know why his words carry weight? Because he lived it. Every day he practiced it. That is a spiritual warrior. And can I tell you something else? More leaders are made than born. So if you'll apply the things that you learn, you can lead the way into the into, the, into what's advancing, into what's new, into the next. More leaders are made than born. Well, I just, I'm just not made that way. You, you have, you're the righteousness of Christ. You've been reborn. That's who you used to be. That I can't live somewhere a long time ago with the old dead flesh. Who you are now is the one that can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. The I can't mentality of the Christianity needs to die because there's nowhere that's biblical. There's nowhere. Preparation creates a readiness. We got to prepare. Right? Every day, Marines train, soldiers train, Navy trains, Air Force trains. Why? Just in case. Just in case. The watchmen sit on the walls. Why? Do they see battle every day? No. But I'm going to promise you, if something's coming to the front door, you're going to be real happy you had a watchman up there who 99% of the time did nothing but stand there and watch. But that one time is when you needed them. Paul's adamant that training and preparation for the Christian soldier, it's, it, you got to be armored up. 
He says you have to be in prayer. And more so, he says, at all times. He like follows James's lead. He says, be persistent. Or as James would say it, you better have the fervent prayer of the righteous. Funny how you're clothed in righteous, so your prayer better be fervent. The other call to prayer exists in the ministry of intercession. Paul exhorts to pray, pray in the spirit, and be persistent in your prayers for believers everywhere and for me too. Listen, I know of no other better ministry than the ministry of intercessory prayer. When we pray for others, we are being Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorites, well-known revivalist, he's quoted as this on the subject. Listen to him here. He says, the intercessor believes the thing will happen through me. I'd have to stand in the gap. You know, when you talk about intercessors, we always go back and say, well, America's had some of the best intercessors. You're right, we had. We had Praying Payson of Portland back in the 1800s. The floor in his room was as hard as this metal, and yet there were two grooves side by side where his knees used to rub in the floor. What about Jonathan Goforth that went out and had revival in China? And what about John Hyde, one of the greatest men ever in prayer? You know, the first thing that really moved me to God after I got saved, somebody gave me an abridged edition of the life of David Brainerd. And I just could not believe it. I could not take it in. Could a man be so utterly selfless? The thing that is crippling us is our prosperity. Materialism is choking the church as well as the world. We want ease and comfort. But when I read of a young man that could walk out in the snow, snow up to his chin, sometimes wrestling in prayer from sunrise to sunset with a tuberculosis-ridden body, when I read about a man that wrestled in prayer like that, I was dumbfounded. And so am I. And so am I. The selfless work on intercession is the stone by which the sword stays sharp. You want to wield the word of God? The only way to know the word of God is get it from his mouth. Well, how do I do that? Well, you pray. So many of us come to listen to a a preacher, even as myself, and, and, and the pressure on me to always hear from God. When you can go get the same thing from him. It's true. Yeah, now, if, if, you, if you aren't having moments with him when you're praying, you're trying to rely completely on me as a middleman between you and God, and that's sin. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people who will call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, boy, and they try to do things in his name. And they, boy, we did all these things, and we did all these things. That does not matter. At the end of the day, it's going to matter if you, if you, not just do you know him, does he know you? Does he know you? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. How can you, know, how can you know someone without talking to them? How can you know? Well, I don't know if I have time for prayer. You better make time. And if somebody somehow told you, like, by the way, how did many of you get saved? Did you just like all of a sudden one day, like, I just believe in Jesus, so I just, I'm saved? Or were you invited to an altar? Now, if you were invited to an altar, did you pray? Did you have words with the Lord where you said, Lord, come into my heart? I mean, I would question, man, if you've never prayed to the Lord in the beginning, how do you know if you're saved? I'm just saying. Most people I know when they experience salvation, it usually starts with some form of prayer to the Lord. God's response, right? God's response is a spirit-filled body that feels the assurance of salvation. And if you haven't felt that yet, then you need to be praying. Again, it's not a matter if you've read the Bible and know God. There's plenty of people who are going to say, Jesus, Jesus. 
The question is, will he say your name? Will he say Jim, Jim, what? And that's going to be the question. Listen, you can walk in, the, I mean, walking in the armor is about walking in this assurance. Shoes of peace, how, helmet of salvation, right? The armor is the righteousness of Christ. I mean, it's all about being in Christ. And how can you not ever talk to the person you're trying to be in? How? We, there, it has to be prayer. Intercession, when we begin to be intercession, here's how, like, the great work. So we start out in prayer, but intercessory is the prayer we end up picking up when we begin to pray for others. And as we pray for others, here's what happens. It becomes this daily idea of picking up our cross. Why? Because when we pray for others, we have to put our needs aside, and we're going to focus completely on someone else. This is the whole ministry of Jesus, man. He prayed like most this, his entire ministry is all. Rarely do we see him pray for himself compared to the times we see him interceding for others on their behalf. The whole walk to the cross is intercession. Not doing that because he needs it, guys. He's doing that because we need it. His life now, he is, he is living completely for someone else. <clears throat> intercession is the place where battles are fought. Intercession is where we wrestle and we train and we work harder and we fight. Because you have no need for such things as armor and things like that if you're going to remain on the sidelines. That's why my like goal is 100% at the prayer meeting. Oh, it might be 20% on Sunday, but by gosh, I want 100% when I call a prayer meeting. That's my goal. I know that we'll reach revival when I teach you that. I won't have to worry about attendance to the church that prays because they'll want to be together because the people who pray together stay together. Why? Because we go to battle together. Oh, I'm going to tell you, this is the part that sucks you in. This is where we get you recruited into the military. Because those that fight together, man, we, we become band of brothers. We few, we happy few who shed blood one with another. All of a sudden, your purposes, my purposes, all become our purposes. The things that you've hurt for make, become the things that I hurt for. Can I tell you, you know what most often we do in the battle? We usually, and I'm going to tell you, soldiers, we tend to hate each other up until the battle comes. We usually gripe, moan, and complain, Right? Everything's a distraction. We're tired of training. We're tired of Then all of a sudden the battle comes. The crisis hits. And you know what? You watch my back. I watch yours. Funny thing about the Corps is, you know, I, I got to live with all different kinds of races, all different kinds of uh, color of men. And, and can I tell you that when time came and we had to share a whole together, I don't care what color you are, what's your name, where you came from. When I go to sleep, you awake. And if I can trust you to do that, you can trust me to do that. And I'm going to watch your back and you're going to watch my. You're going to pray for my family while I pray for your family. We go to battle together. Can I tell you, it will yield unto us a friendship like you've never seen. You know, to me it was always a goofy name, a battle buddy, but it's the truth. That's what we become, battle buddies. Can I tell you, like a, a lot of the pastors I know, like even Robert, the kindred spirit between Robert, the reason Robert would like text me a little saying like that, he goes, man, I'm glad to know a warrior. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for like walking me through some things. Thank you for teaching me how to pray. Thanks. You know, listen, you know why? Because I needed you. Somebody's got to watch the guy to my left and the guy to my right. And when God surrounds me with people, my responsibility is to train them up to do the very thing I'm trying to do for them. 
And so we prayed together and we did ministry together and we worked these outreaches and stuff together and we loved on people together. And you know what? We watched people die at the nursing home together and we would go visit people at the hospitals together and we would go do all these things together so much so that it doesn't matter wherever he goes, we are always going to be friends and we are always going to be tied together. There's something bigger than us holding us together and it comes from Jesus and it comes from the gospel because we share. That's our cause together. To make this world know who Jesus is. And that's our cause together. What binds us together? Yeah, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. Everybody's armor looks the same. I know God's made you an original and underneath that armor you are. But make no mistake. The battle's going to come to your front door just like it's going to come to mine. And when you need me, I'm going to be there. And when I need you... You're going to be there. And that's going to bind us in ways you can't imagine. Wonderful, wonderful ways. But if you're not going to get in the fight, and you're ever, forever going to be on the sidelines, man, this is... You're missing out. On the, on the, contra, on the contrast, if you're going to jump into prayer, you better get ready. And if you jump into the road of intercession, you really better be ready. You, you think the devil's going to mess with you if you never pray and you never... No, we got no need for that. The devil always likes to stomp the prayer meeting. The prayer meetings, they, t- go back and look. I and mean, maybe this is something I do this year. Uh, uh, I've made it my whole goal this year to just completely stay focused on prayer. And, but you go back and look throughout the Bible. God is moved. When people and his people pray. And not until they pray is he moved. If you want to see your family members and your friends, if you want to see this city or this nation change, it doesn't start with some church somewhere else. It doesn't start with another generation of somebody someday. It starts with you and it starts now. It starts now. And you better be ready. I hope you're ready. Because this is where we're headed. To battle. To war. First sermon I, t- first sermon I taught uh, here was called The War. Like the first series I, I, I taught here was called The War. Man, where do you think I'm taking you? I'm taking you to the place where we get ridiculed because we don't do church like everybody else. I'm taking you to the place, man, where we're going to ask questions. And people don't like it when you ask questions and challenge the status quo. Why? I'm, why do I want to seek out the land of prayer? Why do I, because I don't know about you, but I don't see us changing very much the world. So we have to try. Well, here's what I do know. The one place that every church suffers, even here, the prayer meeting. And I am convinced that it's not going to be a new technology that helps us out. I am convinced, as the words of Jeremiah would say, it's an ancient way, an old way. Go back. Return to me, saith the Lord. You keep looking for everything your hands can be on trying to improve this dire situation. If you will just get on your knees, humble yourself for just a few years. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean a few years? Uh, I'm talking about make it your life. And if you don't, there's going to be a whole generation you're going to have to answer for. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's what I feel the responsibility of. Oh, I'm handing my kids off. Have you, I don't know if y'all see this country in its politics. Have y'all seen these things? 
One of the things that is driving me crazy lately is watching the political atmosphere. And I'm leaving my kids to that. I'm going to have grandkids eventually born into stuff like that. Or am I going to be the generation that says, no, I'm going to do everything in my might, within my power to lead whoever wants to go. We're not, we're going, where we're going is to return to the Lord. We're going to practice what everybody loves to say, but nobody really ever does, which is get on our knees. We're going to humble ourselves, and we're going to pray. They, everybody says that, that's what we need to do. And then we just keep on doing stuff as normal. <laughs> I don't, drives me crazy. The battle is prayer. It's the one place we haven't looked. Think about it. It's the one place we haven't looked. We're headed to war against unseen things, against evil things. We're going to break down walls with our prayers. We're going to call in the lost with our prayers. We're going to stand with Jesus and with Peter and with Paul as those known in hell by our prayer life. I always, th- always love that part. Peter I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I'm going to tell you right now. If you ain't known in hell, you need to be. That's how strong your prayer life should be. Like they feel, even hell feels the effects of Peter and Paul. Can you imagine the spiritual war against those guys? Like, we're sick of those guys. They've made advancements against us. They're like totally taking the battle straight to us. And no matter what I do, I, I mean, the devil's to be like, I threw that guy in jail and he's still getting his word out. I mean, I can't depress the guy. He's been in there a while. Make him have some kind of disease in his eyes or his face that he's prayed for God to let go. And God's like, no, I'm not going to. And even though God has told him, no, he still keeps preaching the gospel. Get ready. We're going to stand with Peter and Paul and Jesus. It's time to armor up. It's time to draw close to one another. Because the enemy's real. And he's seeking the opportunity from who he may devour. Amen? Let's bring the worship back in. And I... It's such a hard thing to preach on. Because you, you have heard this over and over. But the one thing that I hope that you, you take away from this is really seeing the purpose behind the armor. That's my hope. I, I get it. I say keep praying. If you're praying the armor on every day, man, go for it. If that brings you comfort, man, go for it. If that reminds you that you're the righteousness of Christ, go for it. If that reminds your brain that you're, you are covered from top to bottom in the salvation of God, then go for it. Come on. But you've got to pray. Otherwise, there's no need for the armor. We've got to pray, and we've got to start praying. Stand with us this morning.